You are listening to a podcast taken from one of Radio Maria's many live programs. If you enjoy it, please consider making a donation or becoming a monthly supporter. To do so, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. It is only through the generous support of our listeners that we continue to be a Christian voice by your side. Good morning. You are listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria. And uh, I'm delighted to be joined um, by Sister Rose Rowling, who uh, will be a familiar name and uh, and I'm sure a, a welcome voice um, to many of you. And it's me, Father Toby, in the London studio. So thank you very much for joining us, Sister Rose. Let's just begin with a, a prayer. And it's a, it's a slightly obscure um, memorial today, at least for, for Dominicans. I'm not sure many other people will be observing the, the memorial of, uh, of Blessed Manes. Um, but Manes was the, uh, the brother of, uh, of St. Dominic. Um, and so we just ask his, his intercession today. We ask that, that he might, uh, that through his, through his prayer, we might answer the, the questions that we receive wisely and well. And we, and we thank the, the Lord for the, for the gift of this program, of this, of this radio, of the chance to, to grow in love of Christ and to grow in knowledge of Christ. And we entrust ourselves to the, to the Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so how are you, Sister Rose, and how is everything in the community? Have you managed to have a break at all? Yeah, yeah thank you. I've actually only last night returned um, from a retreat with the Dominican nuns in Drogheda in Ireland. So if anybody's looking for a retreat, I would really recommend them. They're a very, very lovely community of enclosed Dominican nuns. Um, and it was a, a beautiful time. So I thank God for that and uh, really encourage anyone looking for some space to, to have a look at them. That could actually, um, I'm going to make it our first question of, of faith um, there, because this is one thing you probably spend a lot of your life um, having people say, oh, you know, when did you decide to become a nun? And um, maybe sometimes you correct them and maybe sometimes you don't. But can you tell people why it would be technically incorrect to uh, call you a nun? And what's what's the difference? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're right. Um, so um, technically, uh, nuns are enclosed, so they live in monasteries, um, and they tend to have restricted access to um, the outside world. Um, they live a principle called enclosure, and there are different levels of enclosure. Um, our Dominican nuns often have uh, the highest, which is papal enclosures. They have limited contact with the outside world. Whereas sisters, religious sisters, or sometimes called apostolic sisters, like I am, we are kind of out and about um, in community. We have um, we share in the Lord's work of teaching or nursing or healing or any, any manner of um, works. But we're kind of like his hands and feet, if you like, going about the world, interacting with others, trying to show his mercy in a very visible way. 
and our enclosed nuns um, are called the hearts of the church. That's very traditional. They, they are the praying presence that keeps the rest of the body um, able to function and to work. So they're the beating heart, their life of prayer and of sacrifice and of community and of manual work um, keeps the rest of the heart and the rest of the body going. So that's the difference. Nuns, kind of monastic, enclosed, and apostolic sisters or religious sisters are out in the community more so. Great. And so the, the sisters live a very similar life to the to the friars, but with slightly better pressed um, habits. And, <laughs> I think that's the and truth. Slight, yeah. And slightly fewer, <laughs> slightly fewer food stains on them. You're, you're, that's very you're less true. likely to be able to tell what the sisters have been eating the last week by looking at their habits yeah. than, you, than you are by looking at a, at a, at a, at a, at a friar. But in, interestingly, the, the very first foundation of Dominicans um, before there were any friars, there was a, a community of a community of nuns, which Saint Dominic founded in uh, in Puy. Which, when I say that to French people, they um, then have no idea where I'm talking about because I haven't mastered the pronunciation of it. But it's P R O U I L L E. Um, I say Puy, but that's clearly not how it's pronounced, given the blank faces I often receive. But a group of um, of Cathar women who Saint Dominic had brought back to the to the true faith to the catholic church they basically said well what do we do with our lives now and he formed uh, a a monastery there for um um what became the first dominican nuns and that uh, that monastery is um has been continuously in the in the hands of the of the order um for over 800 years now but now actually is a it's a community of dominican sisters who live there um sisters not nuns from from all around the world, I met an, an American nun and and definitely one one German when when I prayed with them. Um, but just a, a reminder that uh, questions of faith is supposed to be largely your questions about the faith and not my questions to Sister Rose. Um, and we might just go to a, a, a short piece of music.
This is Questions of Faith. Father Toby, Sister Rose, in the studio in Cambridge, we have Lynette, and she has a question for you, Lynette. Um, They're all yours. Thank you. Good morning, uh, both of you. Uh, Good morning. Um, Good morning. uh, Listeners as well. Um, My question is, is this. I wondered if you can expand on what altar Christus means. So it's a phrase that I've is relatively new to me. Um, I think in persona Christi is another phrase along those lines. But um, it's it's yeah to do with what that means in terms of um, priests and and perhaps Christians in a broader context. But alter, what what does altar Christi mean? Particularly, I'm thinking in the Eucharistic setting, if you want to start there. Thank you. Okay, yeah, well, that's a, a great question. Alt, alter Christus is a, a, a Latin um, phrase, and it, and it just means sort of an, another another Christ. And uh, an in persona Christi um, means in the, in the, in the person uh, of Christ. Um, and this is a sort of Im, important... Uh, it's, it's, it's a very sort of important idea because um, there is only, as as we sort of hear in the in the book of Letter to the Hebrews, you know, there is only one true high priest, and that's and that's Jesus Christ. And so priests are, are not sort of uh, priests are sort of under their own, own powers. Priests don't perform the, the sacraments under their own powers. Rather, it, it's Christ who who works the sacraments. Um, through them, and so that's why we say that that at, that at the mass, um, especially what we use this this phrase, and and in and in and in confession, that the that the priest is acting sort of in persona Christi, and you see like especially this this shift when you know at certain points in the in the mass the the priest is leading the the people in prayer, but in the in the Eucharistic um, prayer. Um, and at the words, at the words of of, of cons- consecration, almost the priest moves into the into the into the first person, saying to the to the to to the to the con- to the congregation, and speaking the the reality of 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 Christ in the Eucharist into being, and it's Christ's work um, that is that is doing that. The priest is is his instrument. Um, we're very used to the idea of of instruments that that we play. Um, you know, and it's the instrument that makes the makes the makes the noise, but the the musician um, who plays the the instrument. Now, in 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 the in the mass um, and and in the priesthood more generally, the priest is not a completely passive instrument like a musical instrument or or like a like a pen. When we use a, a pen, rather, he has his own agency. Um, but the more conformed uh, he is to, to to Christ, obviously the. The, the easier it is for people to to discern that it is Christ acting acting in him, um, but uh, fortunately to the to the relief of many the the efficacy of the sacraments the the sacraments actually having their 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 effect um, does not depend upon the personal holiness of the priest because rather it's Christ who who acts um, through through them, and then all the all the baptized um, in a in a different way share in the in the in the priesthood of Christ so priests uh, by that by their ordination and ordination is one of those sacraments um, which we which we we say brings about a sort of 
an ontological change. That's a sort of a metaphysical um, term. But basically it's saying something has changed in the character of that of the person at priesthood. They are no longer what they were before. Now there's another sacrament in which an, an ontological change, a, a, probably an even more profound one, occurs and which all of us have, have received, um, which is in baptism. And and that means that you can't you can't be unbaptized. Um, you know, when if somebody says I'm no longer Catholic, um, you, you know, the reply is as Sister Sister Roseanne Reddy was saying at the conference in in, in Birmingham. Well, I'm afraid you still are, honey. Um, you know, you can't you can't undo that. It's tragic if somebody wants to undo that. But a, but a but a reality, a change has occurred in the person. Um, the Holy Spirit has come to to dwell in them, and they've been opened up in a profound way to the the supernatural um, life of of God in them, and that can't be undone. The priest uh, the priest has been ordained to Christ in his ministerial priesthood. But all of us have been ordained to Christ in the in the more general sort of priestly ministry, which is which is to sac to sacrifice, to make a to make a sacrifice of ourselves for for God, and and for others. And they're also ordained to Christ by baptism in his in his um prophetic and his and his kingly ministry. But altar Christus is is norm is sort of reserved normally for for priests, just to to make the point that the priest is acting as a as another. Christ and, and and hopefully what it what it helps us to what a good priest should do is make us care less about the personality of the priest. You know, a priest who's a really good preacher should make us care less about the homily. Um because the the priest who's who, who's holy and good points to Christ and helps us to realize that in any mass it's Christ who is who is working his graces through the priest and that the and the, the instrument is not the most important thing. Rather, it's the player of the instrument. Mm. Thanks. That was lovely. Okay. Thank you. Sister Rose might have something to, to add on that. No, that's excellent. Thank you. I think you've, you've done an excellent job bringing that back. Thank you. Okay. Great. Well, thank, thanks very much for the question, Lynette. Okay. And, um, and if anybody's wondering why you often hear Lynette live in the in the studio on a Friday, which is which is which is lovely. Just to remind anybody in the Cambridge area that we have a a mass for our volunteers and and friends most uh, Fridays in the studio at ten a.m. So you're always most welcome at that. And uh, it was lovely to see you last week when I was celebrating that mass, Lynette. And thank you for your question this week. That's all right. Thank you. Um, and there there is um there's there's very good coffee afterwards which I'm just about to enjoy. Okay, cheers, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> so All that right. seems like a, a, a good chance to go to another piece of, of music. Why don't you swing down sweet chair and stop and let me ride? Swing down chair and stop and let me ride. Rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord. Come and easy, will I got home on the other side? So you are listening to Radio Maria and this is Questions of Faith. I believe now we have a question which uh, which are, are faithful, trusty and faithful servant. Oh, actually, I think we might have a caller. Um, so let's, uh, our trusty and faithful 
um, sent in question from Raj. We'll wait and we've got a caller online now. Oh, we've got Sarah from Cambridge. Sarah, you're on air. Hello, Father Toby. Hi, Sister Rose. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm listening while I'm doing some really boring work and it's helping. Thank you. <laughs> 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 um, and I was really in I was really struck with what you were saying, Father Toby, um, when you were answering Lynette's question. Um, and you were talking about how a good priest um, is kind of pointing people away from himself as a person because he's pointing us toward Christ. Um, so, yeah, just kind of a meandering thought from that, really. Um, I'm not speaking about anything specific, but kind of in general. Sometimes people, like for any very many number of reasons, they don't feel comfortable in their parish, which is their local parish. And they might decide, oh, I'm going to change parishes or I'm going to change church. So, I mean, to me, like the more extreme reason would be, oh, they're teaching something that's actually the opposite of the teaching of the church. And someone's like deliberately confusing or misleading people or maybe a less extreme reason. Oh, I just don't really like those people. I don't get on with them or they don't like me or anything like that. Um, and so I guess there can be reasons that someone wants to change uh, their parish or their church and then on the other hand I have a feeling that it's good to not go parish hopping <laughs> um, you see that typically in some I think like for example evangelical churches you know like oh I'm not being fed right here it's not the exact music that I really enjoy at the moment or something like that um, and I have the feeling it's good to try and have a loyalty but I just wonder if you have any thoughts about this uh, yeah it's a meandering question sorry yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. Look, if your if your priest is is preaching heresy, um, then then we have a kind of a a, a roadmap um, given in the in the gospel two days ago from Jesus, really about what we should do. Like, first of all, you should approach him in 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 humility, but you should approach him and you should say to him, "It seemed to me, Father, that that what you said yesterday." seemed to suggest that that you didn't think the resurrection um actually happened like have have i have i have i misunderstood you there in some ways and so give him the chance to 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 sort of say yeah you know like that's not that's not what i meant oh dear like you know if if people thought i meant that but if if your priest has said to you like naturally i just think the 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 resurrection was um is a is a is a symbolic sort of in, invention of the uh, of the apostles in the early church to to say that um you know Jesus was still with us in spirit um then your 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 priest is in, in formal heresy and that's a and that's and that's a problem and you need to say to him well that goes against the teaching of the church father um if he were to say that and then if he said well I don't care about the teaching of the church then you need to be getting onto the bishop. And you need to be saying to the bishop, um, I, I spoke to I spoke to Father So and So, um, and uh, and also oh, actually let's go a little bit more to sort of Matthew's gospel with that. You might say to to a couple of other people in the congregation, your two or three witnesses, like, did you hear? Was that the impression you got when 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 Father said that that you know people are going to think the resurrection didn't happen, um, and they can phone you in that then. Then you go and you approach the the bishop, and if the bishop won't do anything, then you uh, approach the the the, the nuncio. Um, but 
sort of in the meantime, like if nothing's actually actually happening, then I would say in that case, then you then you have a duty to go to a, another parish and you have a a duty to to take to take your 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 family um, to encourage your friends to to sort of not not absorb that. But there are there are other other cases where we just happen to not especially like the personality of the the priest, and we need to sort of recognize like you know is is this me just being a bit difficult um or maybe i'm at an early stage in the in the faith where like i'm not getting it not learning anything in in the in the homilies and the music's driving me potty and i just think actually i need for a while to to go somewhere where i receive more nourishment but i think the ideal is is always to to go to um uh, uh, the, the parish in which we belong, because that priest actually under canon law has responsibility for you. You know, you are in, in, entrusted to him. He has he has care for your soul. If you're going to receive um, any one of the the sort of the the the, the sacraments of um, your children, if your children are going to get baptized, um, if you're going to get married, um, you're going to confirm sort of somewhere outside of that area then he needs he needs to give permission for that to, to happen you're entrusted to him um but there might also just be other um reasons that you might go to, i know some people come to our church here because they like the fact that the church is massive and they have side chapels that they can wander into with with their with their children um during the mass and that seems to me a legitimate reason to to come to you know the the church where where I'm at, and I said once when somebody said to me, "Oh, they said like we just felt with our kids that it was a bit difficult going to our church," and I was like cringing, saying, "Did the priest say something to you about your children?" And they said, "No, no, no. He's never said anything. He's lovely. It's just nice for us to be able to take the children into the side chapels whilst they're still at the age they can't sit still." And so, you know, if you want to go for that reason because it just makes mass less stressful for for you. Um, then that's fine. Sister Rose, what would you have to say? Yeah, thank you. Um, really, just to kind of echo that. Um, so C.S. Lewis, um, he said to people um, that to, to go to your local parish, and he said, what, first of all, he said what was beautiful about that um, was that uh, you get all kinds of people that come together, rich and poor, men and women, um, it, you know, the, the, what binds people together is their baptism and their shared geography. Um, so he had that um, encouragement for people to, to go and do that. Um, of course, Lewis was kind of active in writing the 40s and the 50s, where there was much more of a unity of faith, probably. So um, so I, I totally agree with you that if there's heresy being taught, then you have a duty to not remain there. Um, I, I just think Lewis's point is uh, is good and important still, um, if that condition doesn't apply, because I think there is a slight danger. You see this actually in London, I think, quite a lot, is that you get people who kind of um, self-select, who go to specific churches uh, because they like uh, the beauty of that church or the, the particular liturgy or whatever. And it, it, the risk is that... Um, instead of kind of coming together as the body of Christ, kind of rubbing up against each other with, you know, different opinions, different preferences, different likes and dislikes, 
kind of on a, on a more natural level, whether it's the decor or the priest or the preaching or whatever, um, it can become quite self-selecting and in that sense, perhaps a bit narrow and we can lose the full richness of kind of the body of Christ and the beauty of each other and the challenge of each other, which actually is, is part of what church is supposed to be. Um, so that's that's all I would, would add to that. Yeah, I think those are really, really important points, particularly that one you make about shared geography, because there are so few like spheres of contemporary life where actually, you know, it's sort of geography is a is a is involved in where we come together. Like I remember when I lived in London, um, I hated all my friends who lived in Southwest London because it was such a chore to get to from from East London where where I lived, and they shared the same contempt for me, um, living amongst all the hipsters in, near Shoreditch. But but the reality is that like we travel to socialise, we travel to go to work, um, and church and maybe sports clubs remain one of the very few things that we actually do in the place in the place where we live. And it's so important that we form connections where where we live because we we have you know we have to live out our faith in an, in an incarnate way um and we you know we won't have nearly so many opportunities for for loving and for serving if we don't know the people um where we live and so that's part of the idea of you know being a, in a parish is that the relationships built up um in in the in the parish church flow out into the into the into the parish um area and that the parish actually becomes um source of evangelization and then as sister rose sort of said and and, and sarah touched on in her question there is a danger even when we're sort of you know picking the church for what we think the right reason that, that actually we start to go because these are our type of people or there's the sort of people that i get along with um there or the priest tells me stuff which makes me feel good about ourselves and we start to make sort of gods of ourselves and, and of people like us a really interesting point. Thank you very much, both. Pleasure. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. So let's um, go now to another another piece of music. There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. There's a time to Everything is intended with a purpose under heaven. Mm. Hello, you're listening to Radio Maria, and this is Questions of Faith. Um, and uh, our trusty, trusty servant, uh, Raj, um, has recorded a question and sent it in to us. So let's have a listen to that now. Good morning, Father Toby. Uh, this is Raj. My question is about Council of Elvira. Hopefully I recently come across an article yes. about Council of Elvira, which was held in Spain around 305 or 306 AD. As per the article, Catholic priests were allowed to marry until 306 AD. Council of Elvira forfeited marriage to Catholic priests. Could you please explain that? Thank you. So that was um, a question from Raj um, asking about the, the the Council of Elvira or Elvira um, and and clerical celibacy, and the um, answer is that the sort of clerical cel celibacy is uh, the first thing to say is it's what we call a discipline, 
um, it's not a it's not a doctrine of the church, and obviously it can't be a doctrine of the church um, because it's changed. Um, the 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 general practice has changed, and doctrines don't change. They can be developed um, and greater understanding, but it's a, but disciplines can change. For example, an example of a discipline changing in the church in this country was that recently we reintroduced um, the the fasting from meat on a on a Friday, um, and in a slightly more serious way, clerical clerical um, celibacy is another discipline. Um, and, and it has been spoken about at various councils, including the, the council sort of, uh, of Elvira, which um, Raj mentioned, which Canon 33 of that required all clergy to abstain from their wives and not to have children. Um, but that wasn't universally observed. Um, and Emperor Constantine, in fact, rejected a blanket ban on married men being ordained as priests in, in 325. Um, and then what you have is over the next sort of thousand years, a sort of a patchwork of, um, of rules apply in various places. And we can see actually today, like we still have a, a patchwork of rules in a, in a certain way, because the most of the, um, Eastern right churches, um, don't have the, the requirement of clerical, um, celibacy. Um, but it was in the, in the Latin rite, which uh, is the predominant rite in the in the Western world, um, that in the 11th century, Pope Gregory the the seventh issued a decree requiring all priests to be celibate and expecting his bishops to enforce it. And that's been the norm ever since then, ever since the 11th century. Now we could have a whole program on excuse me on clerical uh, cel- celibacy. Um, um, but we won't because we don't have time today. And I want to uh, give a chance to um, to Sister Rose to say a little something about uh, a question um, that we had, which was appropriate given the last piece of music on healing, which uh, Christina um, had had sent in. Um, so I'm going to ask Helena if she can work the, the magic and call up that question and we will hear from really it's um it's just about healing so i've been at um i've been at some conferences and there's been a lot of healing and in fact i experienced some healing myself and um wow it was quite an experience and with with a good effect of healing um but i i I just wondered if do do I have to, do we have to be in a mind of really believing that we will be healed, and does the level of our faith of that belief interfere with the level of healing that we get? So is there is there like a two way thing or a one way thing? I just I just wondered. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Christina, very much for your question. Um, I, I just want to start actually by kind of taking us back to scripture um, and by looking there at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. So this says, Jesus went around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and curing every disease and illness. So um, so healing was a, a, such a huge part of Jesus' ministry. If you read the scriptures, you will see that throughout Jesus taught and he healed. That's the two most common things we we see him doing. And also when Jesus commissioned the 12, we're told that he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every infirmity. That's just slightly further on in Matthew 10. So we have a whole tradition of scripture 
um, and then of the early church um, and, and, and even to our own day of healing, uh, being a part of the Christian life. And I just want to emphasize that because um, sometimes I think there's a feeling of uh, healing is this kind of strange one you know weird uh, new kind of part of christianity whereas actually um it's in our lord's ministry so frequently um and it was certainly a part of the commissioning of the 12 and also of the 72 and of the early church i think what changed was um the kind of expectant faith part um which is a key to your question seemed to have diminished from about the fourth century so um, it's true that um, unbelief can present um, an obstacle to healing. Um, so, so we can read again in Matthew 13, uh, it says about Jesus, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So um, it, it, so our, our kind of expectant faith um, as people desiring to receive healing um, can, can be a block. Having said that, I, I don't want to, you know, um, healing is always a gift. It's not a demand we can make on the Lord. And the Lord heals some and not others. And that's part of the mystery of, of the world that we live in. So it's not to say that if you don't receive healing, that that's because you don't have enough faith or, was that, or, or something like that. So we can kind of draw um, just kind of quick conclusions um, from that. Um, something that the Vatican instruction on prayers for healing says is that the sick person's desire for healing is both good and deeply human, especially when it takes the form of a trusting prayer addressed to God. So if we go to the Lord with this trust, with our faith and ask for his healing, then, you know, we, we can hope and we can be expectant. And I think that's the right disposition to have. The other thing to say is that um, God can can uh, work through others to, ena to enable our healing. Okay, so um, it, it's possible that we we can be a channel of somebody else's healing. And again, with that, the person who may be praying with somebody, requesting healing, whether in whether inner healing, so kind of psychological, spiritual healing, or healing of body, um, then again, the the we the person who is praying with the sick person um, should come to it with a disposition of expectant faith um and um and yeah so that's that's what i would say um on that really um the lord does say you know um he always encourages to have faith sometimes jesus healed people in order to strengthen their faith or in order for it to be a sign um for, for them to be able to come to faith so i i would say kind of yeah sit with the scriptures um have expectant faith um, in, in the Lord's work and also kind of trust and, and, and su to surrender to him and in whatever God's plan for our life, for, for our wounds, um, that he will be glorified in them, uh, whether through actual healing or through the way that we are able to, to walk in union with him in trust and in love despite our infirmities. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh... As, as I was saying, sort of off off air to to Helena and Sister Rose, that joining Radio Maria has has sort of brought me into circles where there is greater sort of expectation of healing and more healing healing ministries being going on, and that's been a a fascinating thing for me. It made me start to realise that 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 I think perhaps in the in the church more broadly there should be a sort of a greater expectation, or at least a 
a greater faith that sort of God God can heal because maybe one of the reasons sometimes we don't pray for healing as much as we might is because we're worried about well what, what would I feel if if it, if it didn't happen and I'm just conscious I prayed over a lady a while ago at a at a healing service that we had here with Father Jim Blount and she said to me sort of I think your prayers are powerful Father but I think you're not really going for it um, and uh, and yeah that 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 was instructive and and chastening and uh, and good thing to to hear so thank you very much to everybody who's um contributed a, a question um to all of you listening and uh, especially thanks to sister rose for um uh joining us and bringing that that uh, wisdom beyond her years to this program thank you very much thank you it's a pleasure and if you just might close with a prayer for us please sister rose Yes, certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Continue to enlighten our minds and hearts with your knowledge, with your wisdom, and strengthen our faith and our love for each other. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.